1: Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Sitting across from me is Greg Smith. It's 2020, my friend. We made, it. we made it. That's weird. It is odd to say. Have you?
0: How many times have you written or typed 2019 when you're supposed to type or write 2020? Uh, surprisingly, not yet. Oh, but really? I've only had
1: to write the date once. Oh, I've done it twice. <laughs> it was when I got a package delivered and I had to write the date and I actually did 2020. Yeah, So proud of you. That never happens. It's it's weird. But this is the first podcast of of the new year. It is. You get to be on the first podcast of the new decade. Uh, Wow. (laughs) I I am honored. When you put it that way, I am honored. How was your holiday? It was very good. Um, You made it out of SEC country.
0: I did make it back out of SEC country. It was dicey there for a second. Um, I I feel like I ran into every fan of college football playoff teams outside of well there was one OU fan that I saw the entire time everyone else was very well represented Um, we were down in Mississippi and then down uh, at the beach in Alabama um, and there were a lot of college football fans down there um, a lot of Alabama fans there was a roll tide chant at a bar I was at during the LSU game it was odd Um, yeah I made it I'm happy roll
1: tide yeah they took that, Michigan took that opening kickoff back to midfield. <laughs> um, Alex was actually watching the game with me, and she's like, oh, maybe this game was going to be closer than I thought it was. And then Michigan goes three and out, and Alabama throws that 85-yard touchdown. The next play, I just looked at it, and I was like, no. Alabama just pumped them. This is what's going to happen. Yes. So, It's, it's the new year. This is the first podcast of the new year, um, which means last week with my buddy. I wasn't planning it this way, but last week was the last podcast of – the 2010s um, last podcast of last year. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for um, not messaging Brandon and Aaron and telling them to change the podcast host uh, because I was real worried that that was going to happen. Um, if you aren't already, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, um, SoundCloud, rate and review, and readhealvarsity.com. We have a lot of good stuff up so far. One of the things... Uh, that is news. That happened. What what time did it happen? Thursday night. Oh, it seemed like it was out of the blue. It was.
0: Um, it was probably like six thirty.
1: I was actually just about to put dinner in the oven. Well, you stopped and got a story up on the latest Nebraska commit, four star, twenty twenty one linebacker. Seems like this was random. It was. It was random in that. I
0: mean, I was, there was no, like, big whispers or any talk behind the scene and I didn't have a heads-up that it was going to happen. Um, and I also, when I talked to, ran off, I think Cap- Kapai is how you say the last name, I need to get clarification on, from him on that. But the last time I talked to him was after the Northwestern game, which was his last visit to Nebraska. And I asked him about a, a decision timeline, and at that point he didn't really know. Um, he said that he would take some more visits, and he would, though, for sure come back to Nebraska after the season had concluded. So I took that to mean that, hey, he'll be back maybe for a junior day or something maybe an unofficial visit at a different date and then kind of keep it moving from there as he starts to get ready for a senior season. I didn't really have it on the radar that he would commit. Um, but it's a big deal that, that he committed. And I hope that the surprise nature and kind of um, – Randomness of it doesn't take away from how big of a deal that it is for him to commit to Nebraska at this point for for multiple reasons. Number one, he's a really good player, um, four-star inside linebacker in the 500-mile radius, which is always good to get those guys that are that good that are very close by that can continue to come back um, for multiple visits, so it's less of a flight risk um, within your class to decommit. Um, he's actually on some services rated higher right now than Teddy Prohaska is um which is (laughs) pretty nice um to look at and it starts kind of a trickle down effect for me of what can happen at inside linebacker recruiting for the class of 2021 um as we've talked about who you affectionately call linebacker jesus chris paul jr um as a guy out of georgia who no
1: point jesus oh uh, sorry point jesus because it's chris paul jr chris paul is point god <laughs> See, I tried to we throw you a bone and I messed so it up, times. and I've messed it up. You have think, to tell him. You have to tell him. <laughs> it has to come from you. You have the better relationship here, I, maybe, just in the sense that you have a relationship. Yeah, I mean, here. I
0: have the relationship. You um, have to tell him at some point. I point, told you, maybe point Jesus. Point Jesus. Maybe I'll tell him after his official visit. It's of going to go spring. one of
1: two ways. It's going to be he's going to absolutely love it, and that becomes the new Twitter name, or mm-hmm. he's not going to talk to you anymore.
0: I mean, if you're willing to risk that... <laughs> you
1: can put it on that's, me. That's, that's, you can blame it on
0: me. That's great. I will. No, don't worry. Um, so, yeah, so he's going to take an early official visit um, in the spring or summer. He wants to have... He's from Georgia. Three, high three-star right now. Had a really productive junior season. They lost in the state championship game. Um he wants to make a decision before his senior season. He's going to be an early enrollee. So that's a guy that, you know, Nebraska is far down the path with. Um, there's Seth Malcolm, who's also in the 500-mile radius anti-linebacker um, out of Iowa. And then there's kind of the big fish that I feel like we're going to be talking about for quite some time. Terrence Lewis, um, the five-star linebacker from Miami, um, that kind of popped up on signing early signing day as someone who was like, wait a second, Nebraska really might have a shot there. Um, he actually told me that he's working on a visit to Nebraska as well. So those are just a handful of guys that we know about right now. And because of Randolph getting in the class now, it allows you to kind of shift some focus to some of those other guys, um,
1: which is always good. Yeah. The other piece of news, um, Mississippi State fired Joe Moorhead. Yep. And this – has it can, it can have kind of a trickle down effect with Nebraska, maybe?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious. And now this just happened. Have so not talked to anyone about this yet. Um, but keep in mind that they signed 21, all 21 of their verbal commitments are now signees. Mississippi State. Um, if, if your head coach gets fired, you're able to file. It's essentially a waiver to be able to be let out of your natural letter of intent. Mississippi State recruiting sounds a little bit familiar to you because that's where former Nebraska commit Rodney Gross ended up um, after he decommitted from Nebraska he then committed to Mississippi State his situation is even more interesting because shortly at like I think it was like three days after he signed his position coach took a job with Florida State and then a couple of weeks later now the head coach gets fired I don't know how he's going to feel about all of that at the very least you can say that there's going to be some questions there Um, so that will be a situation worth monitoring plus there were a couple of other players in their class that obviously weren't to the level of involvement as rodney gross was being a former commit Um, but there were other guys in the class that nebraska had interest in too Um, but i'll be curious to see what happens if anything with the rodney gross situation because he's also to add another layer an early enrollee Um, so he would have to make a decision on what he's going to do quickly not a lot of time for visits either so if he is going to switch you would think it would be to someone who's he's familiar with does there need
1: to be more protection for kids who sign during the early signing period and have their coaches leave this is one of my least favorite like byproducts of the early signing periods that now teams will hold on to this stuff because like mississippi state you really did it change in the last week and a half or two weeks that they were They were wanting to keep Joe Moorhead, and now all of a sudden they have this signing class signed and locked in, and now they're like, oh, you know what, actually, we're going to go a different direction. feels like that would maybe be something that they've been talking about for a month now, so they could have done it before the signing period. Instead, you wait. It just looks like you're waiting until you get your recruiting class locked up, and then you make your move so that it doesn't impact your recruiting. It feels like there needs to be a change there in how this is handled and, and I didn't know that there was a waiver situation that you could apply for, so I guess that's a start, but I mean, it, I guess it's the NCAA, so you're applying for a waiver. It's not automatic that you're going to get it. Yeah, it I think it, I
0: I think it does need to be automatic. And the Mississippi State case is weird too, because remember they were going, they were kind of going back and forth on whether or not to keep him. And it's kind of ironic that I was down there um, for a lot of break, and so talking to people, they were very lukewarm um, about him. It was really odd to me, as I it's only been there for two years, um, but they were going back and forth. That remember that. Now it's going to be infamous Egg Bowl in which they lost in that weird way with the celebration um, penalty. So and then that happened, but then I don't know if you saw this. Maybe not. Got bowl eligible? Yeah, they got. <laughs> yes, but then I don't know if you saw like leading up to Mississippi State's bowl pra- bowl game. Their quarterback got into a fight during practice. Got punched in the face and like broke his face. Like,
1: yeah. there
0: they, they had a lot of discipline issues throughout the season as well. well. Like, and if they I were. <laughs> the,
1: the teammate that punched him in the face didn't get suspended. No, right? no. So, like, their quarterback missed the game, but the guy who caused the quarterback to miss the game didn't miss the game.
0: Yeah, so they obviously had a lot of weird stuff happening throughout the entire season, so this probably was coming anyway. Um, so, yeah, they, they were a little bit of a weird situation, but I totally am with you that there needs to be as much protection as possible for players in this situation. And this isn't even i – I'm not, like, coming down necessarily on state for doing this or any other school that has these changes because it's going to happen like at some point it's going to happen to nebraska where someone leaves or something like that but it's the student athletes need to be taken care of especially your guys that are have a like a weak turnaround to early enroll in this
1: type of situation as well yeah well i mean teams are going to do what is in their best interest and what's in their best interest is to save the uh, house cleaning for after you get your recruiting class right. locked up so that you don't like make a move on December 5th or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden your class falls apart and you have three guys signed in the early right. So, the- like, it's in their best interest to do stuff, but it's also, it should be, there should be um, some guidelines in place that's in the best interest of the student athletes.
0: Yeah, but I also think that – I also sometimes think that it's better to get that house cleaning out of the way if you know it's coming, if you genuinely know it's coming. So then that way you can try and either repair the relationship with the prospect or – um, make another hire or something like because I just, my thing is is I wouldn't want, like let's say in the case of Mississippi State now with their 21 guys that are signed like even if they, let's say they all stuck, right? Like you're going to have some upset guys like and you're going to have to mend those fences anyway so I'd rather get a jump on that but that's just me. I know that the schools don't necessarily feel that way because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it the way that they, in almost all of the cases do it at this point. Well that's
1: interesting because let's look at the 2017 coaching class. So there are two very different situations in the way that the coaching um, decision slash search was handled. Nebraska, which Bill Mears said all season long, Mike Bradley gets to close out the season, mm-hmm. which he let him, and then whenever the season was over, he fired him and replaced him with Scott Frost, and that was pretty quick, but Frost has said they only had a couple weeks to recruit that class. Right. Um, or a situation like Florida, where they fire their coach in season and they have a bunch of time to kind of get their ducks in a row and get set up. Mm-hmm. which do you think is more advantageous for a school? For
0: a school, I think the Florida route is more advantageous because I would just like to have more time. But I also think that for a school, I, I would also prefer, and this goes into that, it wasn't the direct question, but like I would also prefer to do what, say, Mike Norvell did for the school for Florida State, which
1: is to not coach his team in the bowl game. Well, he wanted to. Memphis didn't let him. Oh, I thought he didn't want to. The thing that I read was that he wanted to do basically what Scott Frost did. And oh, Memphis, I didn't know that Memphis wouldn't let him. Well, see, I'm okay with that. Like, I actually like I, to me like
0: having now, having gone through all of that, it was awkward. It was cool, but it was awkward. Like, I just I would, and if I were Mike Norvell with Scott Frost, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, and I get also, it. You got be- cut
1: out of the 2010 collage.
0: That was a bush league. Like,
1: movie. what? It's
0: a very UCF. Like, movie.
1: we've got like 15 pictures in that collage of stuff that Scott Frost directly. i telling you, he was them. I'm
0: telling you, he's cropped out of that and one. And they didn't put him in the picture. <laughs> there's one, there's that photo right in the middle of McKenzie Milton and Griffin. And it I swear Scott Frost is right off to the right on that photo. It's petty. It is it's very petty.
1: Unbelievably and unnecessarily petty. It is. It was ridiculous for them to do that. I'm glad you feel the same way. Yeah. That was, yeah, Bush League. That's a great way to put it, yeah. Um, Okay, let's talk about what we actually... (laughs) We got up on the table. Yeah, I'm sorry. I derailed the conversation. Um, So one of the things that we put on HaloVarsity.com, I think last week um, in the run-up to kind of the the end-of-the-decade celebration, New Year's celebration that everybody was having, was we did a um, defining moments of the decade, of the last decade, for Nebraska athletics. And, Greg, you wrote about Nebraska moving to the Big Ten. Which isn't football specific, but it um, was kind of ushered by football. Like, football's a big moneymaker, and it was a big football move. Um, I was in high school when that happened. So I don't have, like, I don't think I developed real strong opinions on the move when it happened. Mm -hmm. And if I did, I don't remember them. Um, You wrote about that situation why, why was that a defining moment for you of the last decade? I mean, it, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but, like, just explain what you P- Part
0: of it is self-explanatory. Part of it, I think, was not um, based on what I wrote about. But, like, the part that is self-explanatory is, is it, like you said, it was a huge move um, for Nebraska. Because that was, if you think back to that time, it was also during all of the, like, big explosion of conference realignment and all of that going on. And I think Nebraska was the first big school to really make one of those moves that Colorado was I we can count them um, when they made their move at the same time. Um, and so, to me, it, it was always going to be a big move academically for Nebraska because Big Ten was, is a better academic conference um, than the Big 12. And we knew that the money was going to come down the road as well. It's funny thinking about it now with all the money that's coming into Nebraska is that what you won't remember at that time was Nebraska didn't get their full share right away. Um, so, that was always, and that's funny to look back on now but also nebraska football wise was actually favored to win the conference their first season in the league because they were coming off of that 2009 big 10 or big 12 championship game as they should have won against texas and then they kind of got screwed out of and then they're favored right away i still think that nebraska coming into the league being favored to win the league year one um, is something that other teams in the conference have always held onto. Then I, I think that there are teams in the conference that take glee in beating Nebraska, um, especially Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, they really, um, Ohio State, there's been some weird stuff there. Michigan, there's been weird stuff. Michigan State's rivalry has been fun even though Nebraska doesn't play them enough. Um, and I think it all stems from that. But my kind of personal connection to this was is being from Chicago, and that's where the Big Ten offices were. It was always cool to me that Nebraska was then joining them, and that was the time that I was graduating and moved back to Chicago. So it was kind of to me that like Nebraska followed me, uh, which is my nice way of thinking about that. And I spent a lot of time those first couple of years um, going to Nebraska football games at various places, either uh, road venues in the Big Ten, or that's when we'd come back here um, and watch games, and those last—those two or so years were like my last time as a fan. So I always have kind of an interesting and fun connection to that time kind of in my life.
1: So if you make a pros-cons list for this move, for them moving to the, from the Big 12 to the Big 10, there are two very significant things in the pros column. One being the payout. Mm-hmm. Nebraska's now, like you said, they, they didn't get it up until I think two years ago or, or a year ago. Yeah, they like they became too, fully yeah. vested in the conference and they got like... <clears throat> the $53 million payout or whatever it was, which had a lot to do with them announcing stadium renovations yeah. when they did.
0: And them changing mm-hmm. how they pay coaches. Remember, like, yeah. Nebraska was a notoriously cheap program when yeah. it came to paying coaches, and weirdly, all of a sudden, they're not anymore. Yeah.
1: Like, all of their coaches are highly paid. So that Big Ten payout is probably number one. Um, number two would be academics, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It, but maybe, there is there a con on the other side of – I have a Big 12 take that I've kind of been gestating since the the college football playoff semifinal where OU got battered. Um, Do you think Nebraska regrets coming to the conference from a pure football competitiveness standpoint? If they're still in the Big 12, do you think they have the same 13 wins over the last three years that they have now? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any regret about moving to this conference? Or do you think it's like we're playing with big boys? It's fine
0: yes if you gave people truth serum I think that they they would admit that there's um regret and for a reason that I didn't think about at the time and I've kind of just come around to, even though it's been years now, in that it took it was a harder adjustment to the style of play in the Big Ten than I think anyone anticipated in football. Like and, I, and that combined with, I think that the league is harder than anyone realized. And I think that we saw that when they first came into the league. And I think we saw it when, and we've talked about this before, when Scott Frost and his staff got to Lincoln and how they kind of had to realize how to navigate the league, and it's a little tougher than they realize, um, is that you have this perception in your mind of what Big Ten football is like. And some of that stuff is all in good fun. Some of it is true. Some of it is not. Um, but one thing that the league really is, is just like flat out competitive, top to bottom. Like there are not many, if any anymore, just easy wins. And that's only gotten harder as time has gone on. Like the league was easier then when they first joined it than it is now, um, and I think that the There's a side note to that, and I have to mention it to me, is that the recruiting aspect of it changed, too, because you basically lost Texas once you moved from the Big 12 to the Big 10. So that hurts you as well as Nebraska trying to find a foothold foothold in a a real pipeline, big-time state um, to have. But, yeah, I definitely think that there's some regret there that people would never
1: admit to just from a pure football competitive standpoint. We have hindsight to kind of help with this, but Nebraska right now is in – I would say the best conference in football, the strongest, most competitive top to bottom conference in football. I think they I think the Big 10 is more competitive than the SEC. So do I. Um and I think the conference that they left I mean I would argue I would for sure argue that the Big 12 has been passed by the Pac-12 if we're looking at Power 5 conferences. Yeah. So then you're looking at the Big 12 and the ACC for what's the worst conference, the weakest conference of the Power 5 ranks. And so then I would say, well, do you look then, because everybody else is awash, do you look then at the top team from each conference, Clemson, Oklahoma, and I'd pick Clemson over Oklahoma. Like, yeah. Oklahoma getting blasted. And so that could, hurt them so bad. It hurt the conference bad. so bad. Because that's that's a five-time, five straight Big 12 titles for Oklahoma. And they've made four college football playoff semifinals over that five-year span. And they haven't won any of them. They haven't come close to winning. The only one they came close to was the Georgia game. And they blew a lead in that game. The other three were, they, they got blown off the field, double-digit losses. Um, and, and I think that's like, I think that's really hurting the Big 12. And I wonder, I have been wondering, like, if Nebraska was still in the Big 12 First of all, this style of play that Frost is running—yeah, now would be it's perfect. Awesome.
0: It's perfect for what they <laughs> for that conference. Yeah, it would be yeah.
1: awesome for the Big Twelve. But second yeah. of all, I think like the the defensive adjustment for them. I wonder if it would be easier for them to be a little bit more competitive, or if, or or if um, I should say the turnaround would have happened a little bit faster if they were playing in the Big Twelve. Yeah, uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot, and and it was kind of like um, urged on with your reflection on them moving to the to the Big 10. I think it's interesting because I don't think like if you if you if you took Bill Moose and this leadership and put them 10 years in the past and said will you make the same move again? I think they would. I think they would join the Big 10 all over again if they could, but I also think that there are people that would be like, mm, "Well, maybe our lives would be easier if we were in the Big 12." It's interesting. It's an interesting discussion.
0: It definitely is, and, and or maybe what you would have done is been even more like dead set on making sure you alter your style of play or the types of players that you're bringing in to make sure that you can compete in the conference, it, which got I feel like got worse obviously as time went on. It started off fairly well under Bo, and then just completely fell off
1: <laughs> table after that. To kind of circle back, like like I said, we were recording this um, Friday morning. Rodney Grosh just tweeted speechless. Okay. That's all he tweeted.
0: I'm telling you, he's in a bad spot, man. Like I honestly can't I, I can't like I can't imagine how much that has to suck. To commit to a school, be excited, have your position coach leave for another job, have your coach get fired, and oh by the way, you're supposed to be enrolling in a week. Like that, I mean, <laughs> that, and he can't. He probably is not the only one in their class going through that. And obviously, all of them are to a de- to a degree. But man, that's tough. It's really tough. And I'm sure Husker fans are, you know, pestering him in his mentions. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm oh, sure yeah. Do you remember the... Give him
1: some space. The Banner Society post that was like the <laughs> number... I think it was like 19 different people you'll find in the recruits' mentions. Yep, I did. Saw like I, 10 of, like I ten of them. I did not tell you Quick this,
0: scared. but I sent that to Turner Corcoran.
1: Oh, you did? I did, and
0: he died laughing oh, at that. Oh, no, you told thing. me that. Oh, I did tell yeah, you that? You should, okay, that yeah. Well, them. now you
1: guys know. Um, <laughs> he died laughing at that um, and said that that was very accurate. It's funny because uh, it was it, it was around the time that came out. I made the comment um, I think it was actually to you on a podcast where yeah. I tell you and Jacob. Or I said, don't tweet at recruits. Tweet at their parents. It's much more effective. Yeah. There's like a there's there's a group of people that listen to the podcast. Thank you, by the way. Who like on early signing day and throughout the early signing period, they're like, Derek says, tweet at people's parents. Oh, God. I was like, yes. <laughs> nice. Make it start as long as the parents know that it's sarcastic and not serious. It's, yeah. It's completely disingenuous. They're... Yes. Tweet at their parents, but don't actually tweet at their parents. Know that it's sarcastic. The last thing I want to talk to you about, Greg, um, is another thing that uh, we have on Um This week, actually, it was a mailbag. Mail
0: One of mail the questions
1: mailbag. was New Year resolutions for the Huskers, for all three phases of the game. You did not answer this question. I did not. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I'm going to ask you to answer it. Would you like to hear mine first? Or are you ready to roll? No, I would like to hear yours first. All right. So my offensive resolution was to generate a downfield passing threat. Okay. This has been my hill to die on, my stance for months and months and months and months and months. J.D. Spielman is better working as an underneath slot guy. J.D. Spielman is better served when he has a Stanley Morgan next to him to kind of help. Because he's not a guy you want downfield 50 yards trying to win a jump ball against a defensive back that's probably bigger than him. So having Omar Manning is huge. Having Xavier Betts is huge. Having Xavier Betts is huge. Not just because they are huge, but because it gives Adrian Martinez like some security and just throwing the ball up and knowing that he can just take some shots and, and, it, and, it, and it will, it'll help. And, and if they have a downfield passing game, I think that opens up so much. Or if they just have like a big target, like yeah. one of Brandon Brandon's um, offensive resolution was to finish drives in opponent territory. That was his offensive resolution for Nebraska. And if you have a big, deep threat target or a big wide receiver, a fade guy, like that can help there. Um, my defensive resolution was stopping the run because in terms of yards per carry, um, Nebraska's ranked worse than 100th nationally for three straight years And stopping the run. Yikes. It's bad. Um, and, and, I mean, like, I thought the defense improved last year. I know you thought the defense did. improved yeah. last year. Um, if you look at the numbers, it, it, it was improvement across the board. Some of it, it, like in the middle of the season, looked great. And with the way that they closed the year, it kind of is now a little bit more incremental than the way it looked um, middle of the year. But they got to be able to stop the run better. And that's like, <laughs> I mean, that's number one. If you want to be better and you want to go to a bowl game, like that's number one. You got to stop the run. Um, and then my special team's resolution was just find dudes who can care about doing their job properly. Um, I'd be curious to, to get your take on the special team situation because I don't really know. Like, I know that it wasn't um, DeWitt handling things last year um, the way he normally would because of um, going through cancer and, and chemotherapy and things like that. But, um, I mean, they got to get answers on that side. Of the, they got to get something figured out in that phase. They do.
0: Um, My offensive one would be something that I've I've been thinking about this a a fair amount um, since the season has ended over break. um, Is The whole hot topic of those swing passes, keep me in the camp of they should keep doing them. I know, I know, you can at me and people are going to be mad.
1: Well, they work if you block.
0: They work if you block. My offensive resolution is better perimeter blocking. Like, just please. Like, it's, to me, and I'm watching other teams run these plays during these bowl games, and they work. Every time someone blocks, and if you guys watched, um, and a lot of people did, that Oregon-Wisconsin game, like, that game was a really great example of perimeter blocking, because both of those teams, like, they were trying to get, Oregon more so throwing it um, to the edge. Wisconsin does a lot of those jet sweeps and runs to the edge, especially when it was odd to see their offensive line getting pushed around, and they couldn't run it inside, Um. Those plays were very successful for Wisconsin. When they could block the edge, they were not so much when guys were missing blocks. Like I feel like 84, um, whoever that is for Wisconsin, was the key to every one of those plays. Because if he made his block, it was a successful play. If he didn't, it wasn't. And it's the same principle with those swing passes. Like it's it's a pure numbers game for Nebraska. When they throw those, it's because they have the numbers out there. And if you have the numbers and block it, it's a gain every single time. So if Nebraska can block on the perimeter, and and it's a couple of. Names. One, it's having bigger players out there. So having Omar Manning, who's a very willing and good blocker, having Xavier Betts out there who's continued to improve that um, during high school. It's having, um, if you want to put a tight end out there, if Travis Vokalek is out there as well, like those guys that are either good blockers or willing blockers will really help um, Nebraska because we were talking about something with the downfield passing game to open things up. That's also opened up by you having to worry about the perimeter, right? If you can't then load up or you can't keep two safeties deep, that also opens up that passing game as well. So all that stuff plays off of each other. So perimeter blocking. So what you're is saying
1: is complementary football?
0: Yes. Which would be beautiful. Like if you could ever get to that with this offense, we know that it works. We know that this offense works if you can actually get to that portion of it.
1: Okay, your defensive resolution. My, I really like the perimeter
0: blocking. Yeah, my, my defensive resolution would be getting off the field on third down. Like, And I don't have the stat in front of me, but it feels like Nebraska was not good um, at getting off the field on third down and was not particularly bad at it um, in third and long situations. Like, It feels like Nebraska was just not great um, at that. And I think mean, part of that was something that, oddly became a thing, but once it became a thing, every opponent knew it was a thing, which was isolating Nebraska's linebackers in passing situations, which I think that you can... I think that some of the things that happened in recruiting this year with junior college recruiting and with high school linebacker recruiting was Nebraska trying to get more athletic at the linebacker positions, and I, I think that they succeeded in that, but it's not that those guys um, like uh, Maga Clemens or Keyshawn Green um, need to come in and be stars right away, but if they can can be third down package guys they can even have a, a package where they can come in and play those downs to be able to help and maybe they can, one of those guys comes in um for say will honus and then they can be a little bit more athletic there that can really help you because nebraska was, was pretty good at times and for sh- good stretches of the season on first and
1: second down third down just bad they were there was like leading up until the illinois game they were they were doing pretty well on third down because I remember that being like a topic of conversation mm-hmm. with DiCaprio Boodle um, one morning before the Illinois game. Um, they were doing better on third down and then the Illinois game happened and I think Illinois was something like 11-15 or something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. Um, Nebraska finished 40%. Opponents, I should say opponents, converted 40% of third downs um, this year against Nebraska. That ranked 74th nationally. So, it's better than what it was but it's right. still not great. Um, and, and I wrote about the, the linebacker thing. It was shallow crossing routes over the middle of the yeah. field that teams were running every single time because you're either getting a linebacker in coverage and man and he's just not athletic enough to, to hang with whoever's going across the field or you're getting a zone and they're not recognizing and reacting. And to communicating to as well. That's yeah. where
0: that kind of came up a lot last year. Yep. With the, and it was all, it's odd that you could almost see the games where Nebraska had good communication things were so much better, and then they wouldn't, and things were very bad. Like, it's a, it, and it's something that you can't – like. and I asked Barrett Rude about this I think a couple of times during the season, and you just have to drill it. You have to have guys doing it in practice, and then they have to translate to th- that to the game. And so it, it's a hard thing to me to understand why it wasn't being done, but communication is also definitely something that has to improve along with – um, the athleticism at inside linebacker, which will lead to getting off the field on third down. Special teams, man. There's a couple of different <laughs> ways man. that you could uh, go on special teams. I, man, I, I like your I like your mention of finding guys that care about it, and ergo, getting more guys like more athletic players on special teams as well, and I think that something off of that would be having guys that's a way that you could make your hay um, on the football team and start to work your way up through the system. I think that that would be really cool, but I'm not going to go with that. Um, Figure out the kicker situation I think is the low-hanging fruit, but I think it's also very accurate. Um, If Nebraska can have a competent kicking situation again, um, it will help them out greatly, and it's, it's both kickoffs, making sure that that gets straightened out, but also field goals too, because we can't really quantify how many how play calling was altered once they got past the fifty because they didn't think that they could kick field goals. Um, we know about the six different kickers attempting field goals throughout the season. My like, kicker is is something that they're definitely going to have to figure out. Um, and they do have Chase Contreras coming in, the Iowa Western transfer, will be here next week when when classes start um, as a walk on. I still think that. Um, Kicker is a grad transfer possibility as well as they have a couple of open scholarships left here. Um, I think that kicker is something that you're just going to have to figure out moving forward.
1: Well, they were outscored by, or they, uh, excuse me, they outscored their opponents by three points this year total, and they missed eight field goals.
0: That's amazing. Like, it's actually also amazing that they outscored their opponents by three points it, with that Ohio State game. Yeah. In game there With Minnesota four. game in there. Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. like, it, it's so difficult. And that's why, like, the they're closer than you think line of thinking kind of comes into play because the stats tell you that. Mm-hmm. But then we saw so many little things and big things that went wrong that it gives you so much pause, um, which is what's going to all add up to be a super intriguing season <laughs> next year. But...
1: That that's really incredible. Well, but you hit the nail on the head when you said it's hard to quantify because like we can't really accurately um, portray the kicking situation because like it you can't I can't pull up a number that shows these are like the kicks that weren't attempted because Scott Frost wasn't confident right. that he had a guy who could make from that distance, so they went for it on fourth down and they didn't get it. Like that happened a lot. Right. that happened a lot and that, and also if you're in that situation it influences your third down call too right <laughs> so we're talking about potentially two or three plays on a series that are being influenced by the fact that Nebraska doesn't have a kicker and if Nebraska does have a kicker can they be a little bit more aggressive on second down can they be a little bit more aggressive on third down if they're in like the 25 to 35 yard line range, like, if they're in there, like, his play calling was, I think, hamstrung this year by not having or not feeling confident in his kicker.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's totally, like, I could see that not being a huge deal if they were at that that last year UCF level efficiency Mm -hmm. and execution level, but obviously they were not at that as a team that struggled so much. Yeah, like, and, and games were tight. Like, it's just, that's something to me that, That could be worth another game or two next season if they get that figured out. If they get just that kicker situation without any other improvements, that could be worth a game or two.
1: So, why do you think it is going to be an outside person instead of Matt Waldock? I like that kid, and I think he earned a spot.
0: Oh, I don't. I'm not not saying that it's going to be an outside person. I think when I say that, you know, Jason Trash is coming in. They could bring a, a grad transfer in. I think that. And my, my understanding is that Nebraska does not want to get into the situation they were in this year. and There will be as much competition as possible so that they get this figured out. And they have whoever it's going to be, if it's Matt Waldock, if it's Contreras, if, if Barrett Pickering resurfaces, if whoever it is, that person, is, it's going to happen between now and the start of the 2020 season, and they'll be able to roll with it and feel confident like i just think it's going to be a very open competition and they'll they'll figure it out so that they're not in this situation kicker is the thing
1: you uh, don't worry about until you have to worry about it
0: that is true and that perfectly sums up nebraska football history basically because nebraska for the longest time has not had to worry about this at all and now having to go through this like it it, and see scott Frost's reaction to it and which basically looked like he was exasperated at some point um of dealing with this and he was like "Eh, it's weird i don't know like how many times did jovan dewitt say it's a strange situation like we've never seen this um it's and, something. like every
1: time Frost was asked about it he just smiled like yeah. like his his just immediate reaction was to just smile like yeah i don't know did they go straight from Alex Henry to Drew Brown or was there a guy in between boy i feel like i feel like there was a guy
0: in between but there may not have been cuz Drew was a four year starter as well um and who actually had some struggles himself when he first started off that freshman year, and then was really steady. It was very, it was very similar to what Barrett Pickering was last year. Yeah, and, and like it was really I- similar to that, which is why you thought, okay, here we go, we're rolling, and then the weird stuff started happening.
1: All right, Greg. Well, you've got stuff you got to do. Yeah. I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for being the first guest on of the, the podcast of the decade of the decade I, I of all of that. the twenty twenties. We can put a pin in this podcast. We have hit 2020. Also, I would like... uh, Okay, sorry. I would like (laughs) to point this out. It's no longer on Netflix anymore, which is stupid. But um, if you watched the Friends episode right as it hit midnight, um, where Chandler... They're at um, Rachel and Ross's child's first birthday party. And the baby is sleeping. And it has Chandler and Monica all kinds of pissed off about it because they, were, they had plans to go do something else. Okay. And Ross is filming a video to show the child on her 18th birthday. And her 18th birthday is in 2020. Okay. And so if you watch, like if you timed it up to where Chandler says this right at midnight, Chandler says, hey, Emma, it's 2020. Are you still sleeping yet? It would have been great. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you do this? It's, Maybe. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a yes. I can neither confirm nor deny this. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, you rang in 2020 in a great way. <laughs> a great way. You know, so that was my New Year's Eve dealing with a sickly person. We uh, had to get creative with friends. So I see that. But it wasn't bad. I thought that, that was fun. That's great. The perfect moment, and now Friends is gone, and I have to I have to rely on the like forty DVDs that I have. As I said, just watch the DVDs. Yeah, man. I have like, I have every season on DVD, but then you have to like you can't just go continuous throughout. You have to like get out, get up, and, and change discs. So oh, it doesn't be, like, roll through six episodes or something like that. Oh, with you. the disc, yeah
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, That's how my Boy Meets World
1: DVDs are like that. So stupid. All right, Greg, you got stuff you got to do. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. We will be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, read everything on hillvarsity.com. That's it. Thanks, guys.